Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and fascinating women who talk about their projects as well as their own lives as evolving women. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. And if you like the podcast, you'll love my newly updated companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. Learn more at NicoleChristina.com. Well, I have my coffee in my hand and my little Jack Russell Sparky right beside me. So let's begin. Sally Fox is a writer, coach, and performer who helps people find and shape their stories at work, for their careers, and in life. She writes regularly for Third Act Magazine and the website 60andMe and publishes a weekly blog of reflections on leadership, creativity, and storytelling. A storyteller and performer herself, Sally recently entertained the audience at Ignite Seattle with her piece, 60 is not the new 40, How I Dump Denial. Welcome, Sally. Oh, thank you, Nicole. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. I love that title. Um, Can you talk a little bit about uh, how you chose the title and what that means? Sure. You've heard the phrase, and and it's almost trite now, oh, 60's the new 40, or, you know, I don't know whether people do 70's the new 50 or whatever. (laughs) That's a good Uh, question. And and they're they're good intention. They're saying that we have a lot of life ahead of us. We're still vital. We want to be creating in the world, all of which I totally support. But there's an undertow to it, and the undertow is it's saying you shouldn't be 60, or there's something wrong with being 60, or fill in the blank, 70, 80, whatever. And from my perspective, uh, if you can't embrace your own age and really make it yours, you will never reap the fruits of that age. You'll be trying to be something you're not. And, you know, the world knows. You have a 60-year-old trying to be 40. There's not a 40-year-old around who will say, yo, you look just like <laughs> us. You know you're different. Uh, and, and so I'm all for, yeah, let's find the glory in being 60. And you had this lovely part at the end where you you led the crowd in a in a sort of chant. What what did you ask them to say? Oh, I think I'm proud to be. I think that's what I did. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blanks, and mm-hmm. that came um, out of the work that I've done with Third Act Magazine, where the uh, the writers and they have a great great group of writers uh, get together maybe every quarter or half a year f- for a a staff meeting, and we introduce ourselves and we always say our age. And in saying the age, it's almost an act of defiance to say, mm. we don't have to deny this age. We're actually going to share. I'm 55, I'm 65, I'm only 40, you know, I'm 72. We share our ages, and there's something wonderfully countercultural about that, you know, mm. to be able to say, this is my age, I'm not ashamed of it, mm-hmm. I don't have to hide it. Um, and I'm proud. 
I love that. I love that. Working with eating disorders for so long, there's so much shame attached to that. So I am acutely aware of my clients who feel shame and this idea of, and now I'm supposed to feel shame about my age. Um, mm -hmm. And I love the idea of being in defiance and saying, you know, this is who I am, loud and proud. Yes, I think yeah. it's important. And at the same time, I acknowledge, as you know, that there's a lot of ageism. And part of my talk was also acknowledging that it's real. I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to acknowledge it because I felt like if we're creative and we're vital and we're mature and we're wise, of course the workplace is going to want us. Um, and then I started hearing too many stories from my older friends who had great careers, great credentials. They mm -hmm. went to get into a new job, sent out lots of letters, made lots of contacts, and weren't even getting callbacks. Mm -hmm. And the pattern was just too obvious mm -hmm. that there was something in the way. And many of them, many of them thought it was their age. And I, I think they were right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, you know, I've talked to women who say, I don't want to dye my hair. I'm happy to have gray hair, but I can't go into the workplace with gray hair and not suffer the consequences. Absolutely. And I was listening to your great interview with Ashton and Applewhite. Oh, lovely, yes. lovely interview. And you, you both were bantering about uh, dyeing your hair. And I think that, that you really hit it in that interview that it's, if you have to dye your hair and you can make a deal with yourself and say, I want, you know, like, I love it when I can have red in my hair. I just, I love it. If I could be a redhead all the time, I would be. So I have fun with it. And, and when I can dye my hair with a little red, I'm happy. But I'm not doing it to say I shouldn't be 66. I'm doing it because I like it. You know, If you can be honest with yourself and say, hey, I'm in a world like where the color of my hair actually really counts, and I'm going to dye it, but I'm not going to tell myself that I'm any less because I'm 60, yeah. 55, 65. I, I think that's the kind of bargain that we get to make right now. So you're saying to do it thoughtfully and intentionally rather than, well, of course, I better dye my gray hair because, you know, nobody likes gray hair and then exactly. nobody's going to like me. Yes, I love and, that. And maybe test the water because sometimes, you know, I've seen friends go gray and they have spectacular hair. Mm -hmm. And I look at them and I think, oh, if I could have your gray hair, I'd be gray <laughs> in a moment. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that a big part of your life and work revolves around storytelling. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you got interested in storytelling and maybe even a little bit about what the power is um, uh, behind storytelling. I'd love to. Well, first of all, you know, just a bit about my background. I I worked as a university faculty. I actually ran a graduate department for some years. And I have a PhD in leadership and organizational systems. So I was well ed educated in the academy that promotes a certain kind of speaking and a certain kind of writing. I've also been a consultant for, oh my gosh, I don't, this is one that's hard to admit, but I think it's like 35 years now. Mm. and. Uh, there's also a kind of way that consultants speak. 
And it's often a little bit inflated, a lot of big words, um, and not always that relatable. So, but I've been, get it, I've been trained in both of those languages. Mm-hmm. I was at this conference uh, where we were talking about polarities. It's an amazing concept about how to embrace the, the both andness of life rather than the either orness. And people were doing these very um, well-informed, smart presentations on using polarities with their clients. And I just had this little rebellion. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to use this concept of polarities. But I'm going to do kind of like put my brain on speaker. (laughs) And I think I had somebody like Robin Williams. And I'm no Robin Williams. But, you know, that kind of improv talent that can just do a – a dump that completely inspires you with their rambling stories. And ah. So I crafted this very, it wasn't very long, but this little performance piece, uh, I think I called it Polarities on the Spiritual Journey. And I watched the reaction of the group because, because suddenly the group got really quiet. They got really intent, attentive. And as I told my story and my stories in this piece, there was a depth that came into the group. They engaged on a completely different level. Mm. And following that that presentation performance, people just couldn't stop talking. And they said, you've got to go out and do more stories like this. And I watched that having really been present to a story shifted the whole nature of that conference. Wow. People wow. just dropped into a different place and they started sharing their stories and they started talking with that kind of head-heart connection that um, I particularly appreciate. So then that was my launch. I, I said, okay, it's goodbye academies and it's mm-hmm. welcome story and let's let's learn what it takes to be as natural and as engaging as possible particularly in a organizational context. Because, you know, there's some people who are just born storytellers. You know, I always joke, there's, your, you know, big Uncle Joe who sits around the fire and monopolizes conversation, but he's so funny and he's so engaging and he has so many stories that you can listen to him for hours. What makes a good storyteller? Well, I think it's somebody who is not necessarily your Uncle Joe because the thing about Uncle Joe is he could he could weave you in and, and engross you. But in the world that, that you and I operate in, say a professional world, you always want to be thinking, why am I doing this? What's the purpose of this story? How am I pulling people forward? Not just listen to me. I have something really cool I want to share with you. So we have... We have two things that we're thinking about. We're thinking about why am I telling this and what is this story going to do for me and do for us? And we're also thinking about what makes a great story and how can I tap into the world of storytellers who've been telling stories for the past 2,000 years mm-hmm. and and use some of their secrets to make my story more powerful without forgetting that my story is a story with a purpose. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to, um, how shall I say, a lot to keep track of. 
um, you know, where uh, one of the things that occurs to me, and, and you can, you know, correct me, but when when I think of a good storyteller, it's usually the way the people are able to use their voice to bring you in, maybe make it quieter so you lean forward or do accents or something like that. But then you're also saying it's not only the way it's delivered, but there's got to be something of substance. Is that is that what it's, you're saying? It's got to it's got to lead people in the direction that you want to go, where the conversation wants to go. Like, for example, have you ever had anybody in the workplace who had a story to tell, but it wasn't the right time? And they wanted to go on and on about what <laughs> happened to them on Friday night, and then this person said, and that person said. And you're trying to be polite because I know you're a great listener, but you're also going, where the heck is this going? <laughs> <laughs> My friend has an expression. She says, land the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Did I tell you that I had 15 free minutes to just uh, have you go on and on? So that's the example of somebody who's telling a story, but it's out of place. It's it, it's not serving a purpose. Uh, when I teach storytelling, and I love to teach storytelling in a organizational or business or professional context, I get people off their feet really quickly sharing something about their life. Like I'll often ask, what are what were you really excited by? Something you did over the past 30 days. And then I watch them and they'll get up and I don't give them much time. They have no time to prepare. I see that people get up and they're immediately storytellers. Now, are they telling a story that you're going to put on This American Life? No, absolutely not. But are they engaging people? Yes. Are they bringing themselves forward? Yes. Are they speaking with emotion? Are they telling about something real and specific? Yes, yes, yes. So they are storytellers. And I, I want to demystify it so that people don't think that they have to be great at performance storytelling. You know, the kind that you will hear if you listen to the Moth Radio Hour and you hear mm -hmm. incredible stories. And you forget that those storytellers have groomed those stories for weeks. Mm -hmm. And and you don't have to do that because I can tell you a, a good two or three minute story um, told in the workplace without all of the performance expertise can often do the trick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how would storytelling um, help some of our listeners in their lives, do you think? What, what application might there be just for, um, you know, we're, we're talking to women who are about 45 and over, uh, they're probably in some kind of career or job, they may or may not have families, they're interested in, in living zestful aging, uh, so they're interested in living well and, and with vibrance. What does knowing about how to tell a story, how does that, how does that benefit? Mm -hmm. Great question. Great question. Well, first of all, you know, at this stage of life, which I'll often call the, the third act or the second half of life, for many of us, the questions that we're hanging out with are questions of meaning. It's not just who am I in the world and can I 
advance my career and can I make enough money to support myself? Those might still be there. But we want to know that our life makes a difference or it has made a difference. Or right now, we're going forward towards something that still means something to us. And story is a power tool for finding meaning. So if you were able to use story, it can start so simply. You know, all you have to do is be able to use this very short question. Tell me about a time or tell me about a moment in your life. Your listeners, you know, our friends, the folks who are going into their their second half of life, could begin to find the vignettes that really matter to them in life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're the things that could make them feel really proud. And other times they may be the stories where you feel like, you know, that didn't work out quite the way I wanted, but I really learned something from it. And that experience really shaped me. And that experience gave me so much that I can give to others. Uh-huh. So, but, so, yeah, going back uh, and finding I, this, yeah. Can I just uh, ask you about this part? Because many people talk about, of course, narrative. What's the narrative we tell ourselves? Yeah. Is storytelling different than narrative? A lot of times people will use them interchangeably. Okay. Um, how I use it, it's sometimes with a narrative, it's a little, it feels a little bit more abstract and and stories can be quite small. Um, and so just just for this conversation, because you you could do whatever you want. I I think there are, there are big stories that guide our lives. There's like a narrative that guides our lives, and within that we have lots of little stories. So the other thing that is so powerful for storytelling is you begin to see that your life is a story. But it's not just a story in the past tense. It's a story about something that you are creating now. You are living into a story right now. And now you get the question, is that a story that you want to shape? Or is that a story that you want to default to? And that's for me where story gets really exciting. So I love that your life's a story you're creating right now. So this this idea of agency and power instead of just passively kind of letting things happen and and reacting. Absolutely. Can can I give you an example of that? Please, yes. Great. Um, When I was turning 60, you know, there's all these conversations that people start to have before a big birthday, like, oh, my God, I'm turning 60, and whoa, this this is a really big number, and, you know, it feels like it might be downhill from here, and who am I, and all that kind of stuff that happens, because it is a pretty significant birthday. And uh, my 50s had been good for me, but I had gone into this period where I was really questioning what the next piece of work was going to be for me. And I wanted to make it really meaningful and and to be true to my own purpose. You know, like I never never worked in stuff where I felt like I was really off purpose, but 
I knew you know, I didn't have as many years ahead of me, so I wanted to make my work count and represent my gifts in a in a particular way. But I didn't know how I was going to do it. And as I was turning 60, I suddenly saw the light, and I discovered this world of storytelling. I fell in love with these little opportunities to perform. I loved working with people to pull out their stories, and I felt I've got it. I, you know, I see the light. Mm-hmm. But then I noticed my story. And the story ran something like, but you're 60, and people are starting to retire now. And you should be thinking about retirement. And look at all your friends who have retired. And, oh, by the way, you're not a professional performer, so what makes you think that you can start doing this at 60? You know, Uh that was sort of the embedded, implicit, I would never choose it, but kind of background story that was beginning to shape how I saw the future. And so as a storyteller, I gave myself a little dare and I said, hmm, what if I just reshape the narrative? Because I'm all for sharing anything I learn with my people, you know, the people who read me, the people who hear me. I just love to share. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what, what if I can say, I'm on a heroic journey myself and I am going to show that you can reinvent yourself at 60 to become more creative more vital, and more you. And I'm going to let go of these other narratives because they really don't serve me. So this is the story that I want to live into. And that's the story that I've been living into for the past six years. And it's been... You've got this this rebellious streak, Sally. I can hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, consider the alternative, Nicole. Right, right. (laughs) So let me ask you, because you you know I'm a psychotherapist and I'm just I'm just trying to play this out with a client or, or or you know, even with myself. How do you keep that little pesky narrative or un, we'll call unconscious beliefs or whatever from sneaking back in the the back door when you're not looking? That's another great question. First of all, is you know, stories or thoughts that we don't want, I'm not in favor of trying to push them out or or pretending that we don't have them Uh, because we do, you know, and it's like ageism. You know, all of us carry some stories that come from our culture that tells us that we're not as good as as we get older as we were when we were younger. It's just in the culture. But if you have a tribe of people or a therapist or a great friend who can periodically help you to see and laugh and say, oops, you know, that that really critical, um, self-effacing, aging isn't any good story is back up there. Hmm. What do you want? You know, do you want that to play out or shall we tell it that it's, um, it's not welcome on stage right now. Mm-hmm. So we don't deny, you know, the stories are there. And we want to see, we actually want to uncover the stuff that's driving us. Um, but we don't want to be victim to it. There's an orientation or school uh, of uh, 
psychotherapy right now called IFS, Internal Family Systems. It's really getting a lot of play. It's a beautiful orientation. And what the whole thing is, and I'm going to hopefully not bastardize it too badly, <laughs> but this idea of is you, you see, um, we'll call it the narrative, coming back, inching back and saying, you know, you're too old, you're not a professional, and you just ask it to wait backstage for you to not say, you know, oh my goodness, it's here again, I can't, you know, this is not the right thought, but just say, could you just wait backstage while I'm doing this? I know you're trying to protect me, you're trying to not let me embarrass myself, you're really trying to help in, in kind of a backwards way, but just let me do this and I'll attend to you after the show. Um, and it just is such a remarkably powerful way to address some of the negativity. Yes, yes, I think um, that's incredibly powerful. It's incredible. I wrote a blog post, I think it was two weeks ago, and it was about a conversation I'd had in my mind uh, going into my mom's memorial and some old family stuff was getting triggered and emotions were rising and my head was in this hamster do loop of and I realized it was just, it was going to ruin the memorial for me. And I used three words, just stop it. <laughs> it's just like you said, go backstage. I can talk to you later, but I want to go and do this thing without my mind being taken over. And for me, it was remarkably helpful. Yeah. There's another piece that people can do, and, and I've found this to be incredibly powerful, and that is to write. And And when I say write, I don't mean... You have to be a writer or think of yourself as an author or even say you're going to write a memoir. It's so powerful, though, to begin to write your stories in any crude, however they come out, form, and then share them. Mm. Because invariably, there'll be some gems, some pearls, some wonderful stuff in what you write that somebody else will be able to hear. Mm -hmm. And it's so completely reinforcing to have someone say, I can't believe you did that. Or that is, that, that is so cool. I mean, I, and they know more about you. They appreciate what you did. And they give you a little context that maybe you didn't even see for something that you did in your life. So, putting a little bit on paper, telling a story on paper, describing a moment in your life, and then sharing it with maybe just one person is incredibly powerful. Uh -huh. Have you always done that? I mean, I, you're a professional writer, but have you always done that even as a child? Did you keep a diary? I kept a diary as a, a girl, and I think I have some of them, and I will definitely burn them because <laughs> if you know if anybody ever wanted to know about my life and i you know i i I doubt this would ever happen, but they they're really not going to be inspired by Bobby didn't look at me today. he's going steady with Hannah, and I am so I am sad, sad. <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> I think that was my great foray into. <laughs> I remember reading one of my diaries from, I think it must have been middle school. Today we use lip gloss. Yeah. And it, was, <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I am not that. And I wasn't somebody who grew up um knowing she was a writer or journaling all the time. So I say this to your to your listeners because I wanted to also give hope. I I became a writer in part by going to say little one day workshops where I got to to write and share and there was no pressure and nobody expected me to be something or to be good. And in fact I it was the opposite. It was like it was a judgment-free environment. No judgment, not even, oh, you're such a good writer. Not even mm-hmm. that. Just have an opportunity to have a little time to think, a little time to write, and a little time to read. And I, I, I'm not on the planet to be another Hemingway. Um, I am on the planet to be able to share with people. So my interest isn't so much, am I a great writer? But is there something in me that needs to come out because I think it could help someone else? And so with that spirit, uh, writing is part of my new third act in life. You know, it, I wouldn't have said 15 years ago I was a writer. So I say to anybody, you can write. You know, you can write and you can tell stories. And it doesn't matter that you haven't done it over the past 50, 60, or even 70 years. You can start those anytime. Mm-hmm. How do you come up with ideas for your uh, your articles and your blog posts? Oh, I um, I just kind of wander around looking at life, <laughs> and yeah. there are times because I I publish every Thursday at two o'clock. Uh, there are times when I don't know what my topic is going to be, but I will sit, and it'll be like I often say in a writing class, just see what comes out. So I'll sit there, I'll start writing. And then I'll notice, hmm, this is an interesting theme. I'm going to play with this. And sometimes it doesn't work out, but sometimes it will evolve into something I think might be useful to share with people. So this week, I mean, this, this, I instead of starting out from that place like, what great leadership perspective do I have to share with the world? Mm-hmm. I I start more like, what can I notice about life? And then how can I relate that back to how we can be more productive, more creative, and live the lives we want? So last week, I had this whole trauma about whether I should adopt a foster dog. Mm-hmm. And there were a thousand reasons why not. And there were probably a couple why I should. And so my head and my heart had to have this little conversation together. And that's what I wrote about. Because I think a lot of us have things in life where we can't just be ruled by our heads. But if we don't bring our heart in, we'll never live those kinds of lives we want. So how do we, how do we work this dance? So bingo. Uh-huh. I had something I wanted to write about. Mm-hmm. And I think the listeners would really be interested to hear about your lifestyle, which is somewhat unique. Can you talk a little bit about where you live? Surely. I live on an island outside of the, uh, off the coast of Seattle. It's called Vashon Island. 
And the unique thing about this island is that we're, we're completely locked in by water, so we have to go on a ferry when we want to leave the island. But with a 20-minute ferry, ferry ride, I can be in one of the most dynamic, bustling cities in the country, Seattle. Mm-hmm. Or I can stay on my island and have a real town where people get together and have community meetings and know each other. Or I could stay at my house and have a really big garden and keep a a horse in my backyard, which was always my dream. So I decided, um, with my husband, who's a little older than I am, we decided that um, it was just time for us 12 years ago to move out of Seattle to have this kind of... um, I don't know whether you call it more relaxed lifestyle. It's it's not just about being relaxed. It's really about being in touch with the earth, with nature, with the opportunity for a little more calmness, and with community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been wonderful. Mm-hmm. And And did you already know about the island, or did you say these are the things we're looking for? Let's see where we can find them. Many people come to Vashon doing the latter, but for me it was different. I I had a horse, and my horse trainer uh, was living on this island. Mm -hmm. So periodically we would take the horse over to the island, and he was was actually boarded with her for a good six months. So I was doing the schlep from Seattle over to the island three or four times a week and, you know, spending – three-plus hours doing the commute back and forth so I could ride my horse, which was crazy, but I was younger then. What do you say? Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, we just said, why don't we move here so that we can you know, we can have the horse here rather than continue this crazy commuting stuff? And so the horse actually led us to the island. Do you have when you're when you're riding? I'm I'm just trying to think of that experience and how I'm wondering if that's a fertile time for you to come up with ideas um, that you might write about because it seems like there's something very meditative about riding a horse. If I'm going on a trail ride, and you know, if within ten minutes I can be riding on the beach, which is totally amazing. Mm. Um, if I'm having one of those relaxed and the horse is calm and obedient, I will often think about the stuff that's on my mind or what I might write about. Or I'm also working on a book, so it's time that I sort of process that. And it's it's wonderfully fertile, relaxed. The the opposite also happens, which is I, uh, I, I take lessons and I still do a little jumping. Like this afternoon, I'm going to jump my horse. And I can tell you that when I'm jumping my horse, I'm not thinking about anything mm-hmm. else. But mm-hmm. let's get over safely and mm-hmm. do this well. Mm-hmm. So then I have the opposite. I have this great brain flush where only thing that matters is right now the horse and getting over this jump. Mm-hmm. Which I think we also need. We need brain flushes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just that hyper focus that everything else disappears. Absolutely. And and then sometimes when you flush your brain, then you can go back to doing something like working on a book, and 
new ideas will just pop in, which is very, I don't know how that happens, but I truly believe that we have, we can have more access to our intuition and our imagination as we age if we cultivate those qualities. So if you were going to have a suggestion for people, you know, to be more creative, you would talk about this idea of a brain flush or what are the steps that you might suggest? Well, I would probably start by saying, do what really, um, what feeds your imagination. You know, Julia Cameron has in her books on the artist way has has tons of ideas about things that will get you just get your creative juices going. Mm-hmm. And and I know for me, doing eight hours of emails and you know doing administrative stuff or working with clients in that way, it it doesn't spark my right brain. Mm-hmm. But getting outside. And starting to pay attention to things that are happening all around me, like what are the birds doing today, what's growing today, how does the wind feel today, things like that drop me into my senses and into my imagination. And they also get me out of this horrible overwhelm that a lot of us, including me, walk around with, and discouragement, because there's a lot of discouragement in this country today. So to be able to say, this is my time, and I want to fill up with the stuff that nurtures my creativity, nurtures my imagination. When when I started my voyage into my own creativity, and it was mm, was probably 20 years ago, I can't believe, no, was it 20 years ago? Maybe, Maybe it was only 15 or whatever. I would just look at little things in my life and say, how can I do this more creatively? How can I take a little bit more time to wrap a present? But really consider it like my creative craft for the afternoon. And and I began finding things. You know, how can I sing a little song as I'm walking in the woods? Nobody needs to hear me, but I'm just kind of enjoying exercising my imagination. So there are lots of things like that that you can begin to bring in because why not? It's really our time to bring out our creative juices. Nobody needs to judge us. We don't always have to do it for money. We don't have to compare ourselves with anybody. It's our time to be ourselves. And I think being yourself is allowing the creative you to flourish. Yeah, I mean, some people would call that mindfulness. I I think it's mindfulness, the place of just stilling the mind and not thinking. Mm-hmm. And for me, it also has an active component because mm-hmm. it's mindfulness. Choices. Yeah, it's mindfulness plus sitting down and writing in your journal. It's mm-hmm. mindfulness plus going into your kitchen and creating something maybe you've never done before. Or I love, I'm, I, I study flower arranging, and it's mindfulness plus bringing that to the ikebana, the Japanese flower arranging I do. And so it's, it's, it is mindfulness, and yet it's, it also brings in something else. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the book you're working on? Sure. I I would love to. 
the book is is building off this idea that I I have been working on really for the past six years that we can create a new story about what it is to live in this third act of life and that we can create a life that is more creative and more vital than perhaps we've ever had. And if you, like me, still need to work and still want to bring in money, because a lot of us will have to do that for a while, Mm -hmm. we can make some choices about how we do that that can really nurture us and nurture our creativity and nurture our souls at the same time we're doing work in the world. So I'm interested in this this like this overlap of how how to continue to do work and but make sure that it's the work that we're really being called to do. Mm-hmm. And at the same time how can we nurture our souls? so that we don't feel like, oh, I've got to work until I'm 80, and then I get some time to be creative, and then I get to do some soul work. I I say, no, let's work. Keep working right now, but let's work from a different place. Maybe not so ego-driven, maybe not so competitive, maybe not so concerned with comparing yourself to everybody, and maybe more concerned with how can I really use this period of work to bring out my creative gifts? Mm-hmm. That that is really lovely and and I think exciting to think about. You know, I've come um, up against some of my clients saying, "I don't know what my passion is. I just, you know, I've always worked and I'm fine at it, and I've been doing it for a while, and maybe I'll retire in whatever years, but I don't know what my calling is." Do you have any advice for them or any suggestions where they may start uh, playing with some ways to find out? Mm-hmm. I do. Um, it, the thing that I've, you know, I've worked with groups for, for years and I noticed that for some of us, the words vision and calling um, are, are rich and evocative. And we love that language and we just gravitate to it. And that for some of the other mid-career adults I was working with, they, they would like go brain dead, like, uh, what are you talking about? You know, or you, you ask them what's your purpose in life or what's your passion? And they, they go cross, you know, cross-eyed. Uh, I don't know. So we need to have like a different conversation. And I, I call it a, a sneakier conversation. <laughs> I, I would just start saying, okay, you, you, like to live in the here and now. You're probably very, maybe a little more detailed and maybe more focused on the present. Or however you find yourself, what is it that you just find yourself gravitating to? Mm-hmm. What do you, um, what do you like? You know, like, because a lot of times people do know, they just don't think it's important enough, or they've. They've kind of gone brain dead to it, but when you get them and you give them an opportunity to do something that they like, they're often running. Yeah, my my husband doesn't. He'll sometimes say, oh, "I don't," you know. He, he's 82, and he'll still say, "I don't know what I'm going to do in life," you know. <laughs> and I go, "Yeah, well, he's he doesn't speak that visionary language, but my husband is a dyed-in-the-wool car guy who loves cars in his bones." 
and he's used cars to help people. He, he's great. He's almost like a car coach. So I have to point out to him, look, look what you do, and look at the joy that you get from it. And then he kind of goes, oh, yeah, well, I just didn't think that that was significant. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I didn't think that was world-changing. I should have been done something, doing something that would right the wrongs of the world. And, and I just have to go, honey, you're doing the thing that, that's you. You're doing the thing that you feel called to do. And you have helped so many people. So, you know, let go of that other sense of what having a purpose or having a calling or doing your work. Let go of that uh, unless it inspires you. And start small. Mm-hmm. looking at what brings you joy right now. Have you ever heard of, um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of Martha Beck before. Yes, I've heard and, of Martha Beck. Yes, and she has this great expression that sometimes I use to try to explain what it feels like when you know you're doing something you love. She talks about is it shackles off or shackles on? So it's not mm. necessarily, the way she talks about it, it's not necessarily like, this is so fun or this is, you know, the best thing I've ever done or this is my passion. But she talks about this incredible freedom and lightness. Yes. And I, I thought that was such a, that this whole idea of the shackles are off just it spoke to me and I've used it for years and it sounds like what you're talking about. It so is. And, and that's the spirit of it. So I had a, um, a, a coach I worked with who used the word aliveness, you know, it was sort of mm. the same spirit. It's like, it doesn't make you feel more alive. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you, are you breathing a little better? You know, are you feeling a little bigger? Are you a little lighter? Is it shackles off? You know, those are the things that, they're they're like our our subtle cues that I'm on target, and conversely, a lot of us have to get real and say, you know, when I'm doing this, and I think I should be doing this, and I've always done this, and I've got to do this for some more years, and you can feel them just dying into the answer. Mm-hmm. You kind of go, well, let's find a way that even if you have to stay in that job. We can lighten it up for you. We can bring more of you into it. So how can we do that? Because, you know, like you said, I'm rebellious. I'm also sneaky. So how can we sneak <laughs> a little more opportunity for life? Crafty, yeah. Yeah, into Uh-oh. a little more creativity and light and life mm-hmm. and newness into what you're doing. Because life mm-hmm. is too short. You don't want to spend it another 20 years doing stuff that diminishes you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that... I think that's such an important message. Um, any any last last words, Sally, that you'd like to share? You've already shared so much and, and, and talked about a lot of different important elements of, you know, being in our second half of life. Is there anything else? I'll just I'll I'll just add one in and it's also an invitation to people because um a lot of times, as, as you get older, people start talking about legacy and, you know, getting a legacy story. And and I think that's really powerful. I think it can be really powerful to start looking back and taking notes and writing stories. And so on my website, vitalpresence.com, I wrote a little ebook 
that I'd love to share with people who, who want to go over and, and sign up. They can get an ebook about um, a le- creating a legacy. However, I want to warn them that this isn't just your regular how to look back and write recollections to give to your grandkids because I see that doing this work of writing the stories down and noticing your own life can actually give you energy and reshape the story of where you're going forward. So for me, legacy isn't just about the past. Legacy is noticing your past so that you can really feel good about yourself now and shape the stories that you want going forward. Mm-hmm. So I invite people to you know play with that and uh-huh. play with their stories. We're all storytellers. It's not just about being a performer. We all have something to share. And there's such power and power in looking at it. And, and not only that, and I think this is my reason for doing this work. I want everybody to feel like they matter. And sometimes life has been really tough on people and they have gone through extreme trauma. And I'm sure you've worked with people like this and they don't know that they matter. And when I look at their stories from a storytelling perspective, I'll say, not only do you matter, but you are absolutely heroic. You know, maybe maybe you've gone through stuff and you've had an eating disability or whatever. But given what you've gone through, and that's totally natural. And look at how you're working with everything right now. You are a survivor. You have contributed. You're a hero. Mm. And everybody has that somewhere in them. Mm-hmm. And n- n- seeing the stories makes that all the more clear. Mm-hmm. So there's a way to gain perspective and also to use it as a tool for the future. A tool for the future. Because mm-hmm. in a good story, and I'll just kind of add one more thing. A good story is not a straight line to success. I used to say, that is a boring story. You know, I was blessed with a good education. I worked hard and I made a lot of money is a really bad story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's super boring. You're right. Super boring. And so when I'm working with people to help them craft their stories, I want to know, Tell me when it was hard. Tell me when there was tension. Tell me when there was a conflict. If you want to share a failure, all the better. Because in the hero's journey, that hero goes out into the world and she or he has to face a lot of stuff like we all do. And so instead of seeing those little setbacks or those failures as something bad, you actually see that's the grist of your story. That's where it was really happening. So it can turn around how we feel about some of the harder moments in our life because we say, there, we were building metal. And And resilience. And resilience. And we learned something and we took it away so that as heroes of our own journey, we can claim a legacy that wasn't just a straight path to success, but one where we've really earned it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because um, psychotherapists will often talk about um, when people do not, 
experience any kind of hardships it's kind of hard to imagine but that they haven't had to deal with pain or disappointment until much later in their lives there's no muscle built for that and it can actually be quite a disservice um, and and I talk to other people who see college-age kids and you know if things have just been fine and easy until all of a sudden they get into college and a grandparent dies or something, you know, really difficult happens. They're just blindsided. Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're, you're, when we're aging, the great thing about aging is that life is not going to let you off the hook. There's going to be stuff that happens that you don't want whether it's, you know, you were always a great runner, you can't run anymore, or you're going to lose a beloved parent like I just did, or you're going to lose your job, or there's going to be loss. It just comes with the train. Mm-hmm. And so um, life kind of, you know, even if we got off without some of those deep upsets early on, the, the great thing about aging is it really matures us, and we get to have a life that's big enough that we can say, yeah, sometimes it's tough and it's still great. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a great message, I think, for people who are in the in the depths of, of really struggling. Yeah, it's yeah. where we find our spiritual path. Not everybody will use that word, but I use it as, you know, that's where you can find your depth. That's where you can find your soul. That's where you can find who you really are and maybe your connection with the world. It's mm-hmm. having to go through some stuff. So I don't want bad stuff for everybody. But when it comes, knowing that, again, that's what the hero faces um, may give us a the arc of a story that still makes old age worth living through. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's pretty lovely. (laughs) And I just want to make sure people uh, heard clearly. It's vitalpresence.com. Yes, vitalpresence.com is where I have my material about the second half of life. Mm -hmm. They can also um, hear my podcast because we're fellow podcasters, Mm -hmm. and they can sign up for my mailing list and receive a copy of the Legacy book. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I just welcome, you know, and and they can share their stories with me. I love hearing people's stories. Mm -hmm. Sally, thank you so much for sharing all this, all this good stuff with us today. It's, you know, I was, I was thinking about what's going to be the title of this talk. And you just, you know, I have all of these ideas because you have all of these beautiful phrases and sort of the sort of poetic way of saying this. That's really beautiful. And, and I think um, our listeners will really enjoy it. Well, I hope so. And I get the Christmas present of finding out what the title will be. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'll unwrap it and go, oh, that was great. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, well, thank you again. It was a pleasure. Oh, and I'll, yeah, I wish you good luck on your book. Thank you so much. It's a delight, and, and I hope we keep talking. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. 
And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash Zestful Aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.